Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Chapter 4. Number 12, Grimald Place. What's the order of the... Harry began, not here, boy, snarled Moody. Wait till we're inside. He pulled the piece of parchment out of Harry's hand and set fire to it with his wand tip. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Terkyle. And Casper's back on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Boop, 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 boop. Hi, Boba. I'm so happy you're back. Guess who's back? Back for book five. <laughs> it's me. I understand. You just can't stay away from me. I understand. It's really that I can't stay away from these books, but you're also here. Yeah, um, well, so. <laughs> you know, that someone once said that 90% of success is showing up, and that's what I do. That's what I do. So, Casper, we just have two quick announcements before we start today. One is that I will be teaching another romance writing workshop, getting ready for mm. NaNoWriMo. Very excited. You're going to write a whole 50,000-word romance novel in 30 days. Whoa. It's such a fun class. We ran it last year. We're running it again this year. Everybody join. It's all about writing romance as sacred. I've heard NaNoWriMo, but I can't remember always what it is. What does it mean, Vanessa? It is the National November Writing Month. And so it is sort of a collective goal where people spend the month of November writing a bad first draft of a novel. And I love the idea. I love the idea of a month of creativity and imagination and anti-perfectionism and working on something that has no capitalist value and doing it in community. It's just a super fun thing. So find out more at NotSorryWorks.com. That sounds fantastic. Thank y'all. And then we have our Patreon perk is our only other announcement today, which is our Every Flavored Bean conversation. And Casper number 12, Grimald Place, is, of course, something that muggles cannot see. And so I am wondering if you 
as a wizard and I, as a witch, had some invisible thing right next door to us, what would we want it to be? Mm, so many options. So we will discuss that in our Every Flavored Bean conversation. And you can listen to that if you're a patron. And you can find out more about becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. Casper, you are telling a story today on the theme of apathy. And I am fascinated mm. because I do not think of you as an apathetic person. So. Yes. Well, it wasn't a difficult story to think of because it literally happened to me, gosh, last week, maybe two weeks ago. Oh, wow. And I met up with a friend who actually uh, has been a longtime HPST listener, which has been really fun to meet new friends in New York who listen to the show. And she and her husband and Sean and I often go to the theater together. So they've got a young kiddo. And so we'll go to the theater, have dessert afterwards. And it's such a like, I feel like I'm having a perfect New York evening. And so we had gone to see a play. We were having dessert afterwards. And the menu was a Parisian, shall we say, lots of French, tasty, delicious things. And I was like, oh, Paris, I can't wait to be back one day. And my friend Andrew said, ah, well, you know, I'll probably never go to Paris. I was like, Andrew, what is this tomfoolery? What is this nonsense? You must go to Paris. It's an ethical obligation. And he kind of turned to his lovely wife, Sophie, and they kind of looked at me and they were like, well, you know, we're, we're really flying less, like really trying to not fly at all. Sophie's family lives across the country. So like that's a trip that they do take once a year. But more than that, they're really not flying. And I suddenly was like, oh, my God, I respect that so much. And of course, flying is one of the most negative things we can do in terms of our impact on climate change. It's an incredibly high intensity use of greenhouse gases and also because it's released into the atmosphere higher it has more damage it's it's just in terms of our individual actions flying is like really up there in terms of one of the most damaging things we can do and i should know because i didn't fly for three years for ethical reasons and now here i was kind of espousing the value of like jetting over to paris <laughs> to walk along the seine and eat delicious croissant <laughs> And it, it kind of held up a mirror to me of being like, oh, God, I have become, at least in this issue, like really apathetic. It's not that I don't know the science. It's not that I don't know the impact of what I'm doing. It's that I have started to care less or like something has happened in me that makes my brain not think about that. And it was kind of like this ugly revelatory moment where I was like, oh, God, I have become apathetic. And here are two people who I really respect, who, by the way, are not at all professional activists or work in environmental fields. They're, they're just, you know, they're high integrity. And yeah, so I started to think, well, what were the ingredients that contributed to this? And I think partly one of the reasons I've ended up where I ended up on this is because in the grand scheme of things, one person's actions felt minimal. And I, I just felt powerless on this issue. And then secondly and i think it's a combination of the two it's because i want the pleasure of being in paris like the freedom and the joy the pleasure that being able to travel so easily offers i think it taps into a bit of selfishness so it's like often apathy is painted as like oh you don't care but i actually think it's more about feeling powerless and like wanting pleasure those two things combined and i i, I want to see if that holds true as we read this chapter together 
I think that that's such a wonderful story, Casper. And our listeners are amazing. <laughs> like, that's incredible, that commitment. Right. I decided to go to Etymology Corner because our beautiful Matthew Potts has inspired me. And it comes from the Latin and Greek, which means without feeling. And before yes. that, it used to mean without suffering. And I think that you can now fly without suffering the guilt, right? And so mm. whatever that is, right? Like you've built a callus on that guilt mm. and like for good reason, right? You're like the capitalism, the planes are going to go anyway. And like, you know, there isn't a movement of organization, right? You've become more cynical about these choices and so now you can fly yeah i think apathetically but without that suffering of guilt and i just think that your definition is so helpful and also that it makes sense that like all of that feeling gets eroded over time and you can't care about everything um and that of course doesn't mean that we shouldn't do whatever we can but holding on to both truths is really hard yeah, and that is the question for me, because I do think that caring is kind of like a daisy chain. I think we've you know talked about that before, where like if you're caring about this issue, it's easier to care about that one. So I, I don't want to paint it as like a zero-sum no, of course. question. And, you know, clearly we're seeing a group of people coming together as activists in this chapter, right? Like the Order of the Phoenix is meeting at 12 Grimmauld Place, and they're risking more and more and more, and it's going to cost them more and more and more. But I also think we see them, at least in this moment, there'll be moments later where they don't feel it. But in this moment, there's a sense of purpose and hopefulness and like power, right? Like we're going to try, we're going to do something. It's going to matter. And I think at least for me, and I think for lots of other people, there's, even when you've tried to do something and then it doesn't work or it doesn't feel like it's had an impact, it's so easy to kind of sink back into that place of apathy. So yeah, I'm excited to, not just in this chapter, but like across the book to think about how how do we keep the fires burning of that, that sense of purpose. Yeah. But let's remind ourselves of what does happen in this chapter with a 30 second recap. Ooh, can you count me in please? Yes, I believe you're going first. All right, Vanessa, here we go. Three, two, one. So Harry arrives at Grimald Place and Molly's like, can't talk. And everybody's like, can't talk. Also, be quiet. And he gets um, ushered upstairs and Hermione and Ron are like, oh, my God, we're so sorry. Dumbledore didn't let us tell you anything. And Harry's like, you should have told me things. And is screaming and Fred and George come down and they're like, are you having feelings, Harry? It seems like you are. And Jenny is like, yeah, you're super loud. And they're trying to overhear what's going on with the Order of the Phoenix, but they're not allowed because they're too young. And then at the very end of the chapter, they get called in to dinner. Sarah, I feel like that gives us a complete overview. You know, Casper, I don't want to say that that was a 10 out of 10, but oh, what, is that you saying that? Okay. <laughs> Casper, are you ready? Yeah, let's do this. Okay, you don't need you don't need a stretch or hydrate or anything. Oh, I I pre-stretched. I oh, come hydrated. You're a pro. Okay. <laughs> On your mark. Get set. Go. So the main thing that I think we need to take into account is that Harry is like desperate information for information. Like he is losing his mind. But when he is asked, have you read the Daily Prophet? <laughs> he's like, only the headlines. 
<laughs> so I, I think what we're seeing here in this chapter is a real expose of Harry's failure to look further than his nose is long, as my mother would say, and that he just shouts at everyone else but doesn't read his own bloody newspaper. I feel like you did really cover the bases. That we, was not a I lot didn't of, talk about Percy, yeah. and so Percy just didn't get discussed. Oh, that's a good point. That's going to point. But we'll get to him. Percy will get his due, fear not. So I want to start with the actual title of the chapter, which is number 12, Grimmauld Place. This is a chapter in which we're really getting to know a building as much as we're seeing Harry. And I think apathy actually really shows up in the physicality of the place. In one sense, you could say this building is a victim of apathy. It's run down, there's cobwebs, there's crooked paintings, right? It's unloved, it's uncared for. This is not a place of concern since the Black family has died and Sirius has left. So it's kind of falling into disrepair. And that connects with what you were saying about the etymology, right? This is a, a place where there is no feeling. And I sometimes, if I'm like on a bus, I'll be, I'll be like riding along and I'll be like, wow, every street corner, someone has a feeling about this corner, right? Like, especially in a city, like someone's front doorstep is here. And so they care about this tiny little block of space. Like, I like imagining that if everyone cares for like their little block, then that's how the city works, right? But this block may be partly because it's invisible to its neighbors. And certainly because it's been rejected, you know, by its own kind of magical world is in a place of apathy. And yet, there's a dichotomy at the heart of this place because the magical elements in Grimmauld Place care hugely. <laughs> and loudly. <laughs> a lot of things. And loudly. At the very end, Tonks knocks over an umbrella stand, which sets off like an absolute pandemonium because suddenly painting starts screaming and Sirius's mother is in a painting and she's like, half-breeds, blah, blah, blah. Like, she's just vicious, racist tirade. Um, and the whole house wakes up. Like, the whole kind of magical institutionalized superiority awfulness of this house awakens and it's the opposite of apathy right like even from beyond death these items care deeply about the wrong stuff and it was interesting to me because in the back of my mind the only living creature in this physical place of course is creature the house elf himself and in some ways the kind of apathy from the wizarding world to this place is echoed in the Order's relationship to Creature uh, and Harry's mm. relationship to Creature at first, right? Like, there's this kind of like, oh, you don't matter. Like, this isn't important. I'm not going to care about this. And yet, the other way around, right, Creature cares dearly about what's going to go on in this place and what it means. And the narrative rests on the Order and Harry's turning to care as much, not, not that Creature cares in a nice way, but like there is some care that comes back to Creature that ultimately makes a huge difference. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it just made me think about like how the way we look at places also often turns into how we look at the people that live in those places. Yeah. And the lack of care shoots us in the foot ultimately. Yeah. yeah I was curious if anything struck you about the physical kind of material culture of the place. Yeah. I have a few thoughts. One is that metaphorical structures uphold or diminish these things, right? Part of the reason that Sirius, you know, hasn't been home in so long, he left. Also, he was arrested, right? Falsely charged and arrested, and then has been on the run. And so, right, like there are structures that have been in place that 
you know, have caused this building to fall into disrepair. And there were all sorts of spells done, including we'll find out later on Sirius's room. So certain things can't be taken down. But also, you know, there's sort of this like war of structures. You know, there there have been all of these spells on the house both from Sirius's mother, from Sirius's brother, and from Sirius himself of like, you can't take down this anti-muggle poster. Well, you can't take down my pro-muggle poster. And it makes me think of museums and what big museums feature, right? Because like those are going to be the cultures that are taken more seriously, the ones that are in the like main gallery at the Met. And how exciting it is that different cultures and countries and moments in history feel like they're getting their own museums now. Because if you have a building, if you have a structure, that matters, right? And so what the Order of the Phoenix is saying by choosing 12 Grimald Place is we need a place to gather, even if it is in origin, like a place that sort of hates us. And I don't think that they are choosing it because it will like constantly fan the flame of what it is that they care about will keep them from becoming apathetic but they are not in one of these like apathetic edifices that's like full of cubicles and you know like stark gray white walls so that our eyes don't get tired and we can work longer right like this building is inadvertently designed to keep them from being apathetic Yeah, it has a perspective. Yes. I'm suddenly thinking about if this was not a place where Sirius felt safe to hide, Mm -hmm. why does the Order think it's a safe place to gather if they're both running away from the Ministry? Like, does this reveal something about Sirius's relationship to the place, do you think? No, I think Dumbledore has now thought to protect it. Uh, I think that it's just Sirius on the lamb and Dumbledore is like, you know what I did? I got him out of here. I did my part. And he is, yeah, and he is now (laughs) apathetic about Sirius's care. And then Mm. he's like, oh, we need a place to gather. Oh, you know what I can do? Put a million spells with Snape (laughs) and McGonagall, you know, on a place that's safe for Sirius. Yeah. And I think that this gets back to your story, right? When you're like, oh, I have a bigger reason to think about this, right? Mm. Whatever it is, when climate change is really hitting us in the face, I think we will all be making different decisions. Not that it's not really hitting us in the face now, Mm. but it's only occurring to Dumbledore to sort of organize a group of people here. Also, it was a secret that Sirius was out until recently. Right. And this follows Dumbledore very closely, right? Like we know that he really activates when something fits into his plans. And if it doesn't fit into his plans, like he won't come visit you in the dorms. Sorry about it. Right. Even if you're dealing with multiple traumas, right? And you're supposed to be in his duty of care. Like Dumbledore is single-minded in a way that like, if it's not in his zone of interest, then right, he's not necessarily going to act on it. That's that's really helpful because yeah, suddenly this place, and I think we're going to see it, you know, in the next few chapters, the physicality of the place is also transformed, right? The kids are cleaning, there's lots of new spells and the spells being undone and blah, 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 blah. Like they're trying to make this, I don't want to say a house a home, but at least a haunted house, a functioning uh, revolutionary headquarters. They're trying to make it a more apathetic house, right? Like this is a house full of hate Mm. right now. Mm. And I think that they would settle for apathy, right? (laughs) When I was a part of that principal training program, 
it was an incredibly diverse group of teachers who were training to become mm. principals in low performing urban public schools. And there were a group of white teachers who were talking about tolerance and like tolerating people of different races. And mm. there was a woman of color who stood up and was like, I know you're proud of yourself that you are apathetic about my existence, but like apathy in a certain context is actually hateful, right? Like not mm. caring in certain contexts is hateful. And so like, congratulations that you don't care about me and that you don't care about me enough to hate me. Mm. And then there are other places where you're like, do you know what? What I would like for you to do is not care about me. There are certain times where people will talk about Jews. And I'm like, why do you care about us? Just don't think about just us. Just let it go. Yeah. yeah exactly. Like, do you know what I would love? is for you to just like not even think about us at all. And like apathy does feel like enough. And I feel like there's so much hate in this house that they're like, let's just put a curtain over her and she'll be quiet. You know, like, I don't care that you hate us. Just shh, 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 shh. But I think apathy is... It's not not caring. It's caring without the ability to do something about it. Like it, it. You know what I mean? Like it's maybe that's too that's too generous. But no, I, that's interesting. Because I mean, we do see this with Harry a little bit, right? Like he's pretending not to care, but he really cares. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> Harry arrives at Twelve Grimald Place with a lot of questions and a lot of anger. And the thing that he is like very willing to present anger about is that Dumbledore has cut him out of information, right? He has been looking for information all summer. Hermione and Ron keep being like, Dumbledore told us we couldn't tell you anything. And Harry is really willing to not play the apathetic card there. He is pissed. And it's interesting because he is pissed from a place of insecurity, right? He's like, what, you guys think I can't handle it, right? Like, his anger comes from a, a place of fear and insecurity. Mm -hmm. But the thing that he's pretending to be apathetic about, right, is this trial that's upcoming at the Ministry of Magic about whether or not he is going to be expelled from Hogwarts. He has gotten a letter in the last chapter because he performed magic to you know, ward off the Dementors. He's gotten this letter from the ministry that he's been expelled and then the amended letter saying, okay, there's going to be a trial. And for Harry, Hogwarts is life, right? Like the idea of being taken away from Hogwarts, I would argue is higher stakes for him than Dumbledore cutting him out for a few weeks, right? It is for sure life or death to him that he can attend Hogwarts. And he is so scared and so upset about it that his only recourse is to pretend like he doesn't care because otherwise he would be screaming and crying on the floor in fear yeah. and be like, I don't know what to do, right? Like, and have to admit how deeply he cares. And so here, apathy is a strategy to your point, yeah. right? I just don't think that apathy is always that. But for Harry in this moment, I totally take your point that he is presenting as apathetic because he feels so deeply. A hundred percent. And there's some shame wrapped up in there as well. Like he doesn't want Hermione and Ron to know how much he cares. I think partly because he sees them as having alternatives. Yeah. And as you say, like Hogwarts is everything. Like if not Hogwarts, there's nothing. Right. Hermione can go home to her loving parents, Ron to his right. loving parents. And he just doesn't have that. So there's a sense of like, yes, the stakes, but also I'm suddenly seeing something about like externally, 
you know, he, he wants to present in a certain way and internally he can't even think about, right? We, we see on the pages that every time his mind turns towards the trial, he tries to change the subject. And I don't think that's just about shifting the conversation. I think it's about shifting his own internal thought patterns because he's like, yeah. I literally cannot stay present to this reality Yeah, because it's too frightening. So that's interesting. Maybe what we're starting to see about apathy is that it spans a whole range from like, oh, I just don't care about this to like, I care about this so deeply that I right. just cannot even bear spending time with the care that I have for it. Yeah. My therapist asked me recently, she was like, wow, you're really numb about this. Are you numb because you mm. can't care yet? Or are you numb because you mm. actually don't care? Right. And I like had to sit and think about it and be like, Hmm, yeah. Do I just not care or am I protecting myself from the fact that I care so much? And it's amazing how those things can feel so similar in your body, not caring at all yeah. and feeling so much. But like, you know, as someone who's like trying to notice my body and how it responds to things and thinking more about somatic work, I'm like, mm. those two things feel exactly the same in my body. Mm. I guess the biggest indicator is like, whether you shout in all caps at the people you love. <laughs> but yes, that's absolutely right. Like, it, is my sleep disrupted while I'm feeling mm. numb? Or yeah. am I feeling numb and just able to go about my life, right? Yes, for right. Harry, it's in this, like, microcosm. But for me, either way, I'm going to be working at my computer all day, right? Like, I'm going to be going about my life. I'm not – I'm 41, not – 14. So I hopefully am not screaming at people regardless of what it is. <laughs> right. But I do think that in order to figure it out, sometimes we have to see, you know, how it's playing out in other parts of our lives. As you know, what I do in these situations is often call you. And so there are things that I just don't care about. And then there are things that I get so upset about that I'm like, you know, when Roe was overturned last year, I was just like, well, there's nothing to do. Right. Like I had almost no response to it. Because I was mm. like, well, that is just too upsetting to even deal with. Mm. And it's, it strikes me how Harry's, all caps, outbursts are all narratives that are reminding him and everyone else that he is powerful, right? Who had to get past dragons and sphinxes, right? Who had to uh, escape from Voldemort? Who had, like, it's in this kind of self-justifying narrative that we can understand the thing that he's afraid of, which is like, I'm going to be expelled. I can't do anything about it. You've all rejected me. I'm alone. I have no power. So it's, but again, Harry, read the newspaper, buddy. Like, if you're that desperate and you have one resource in front of you, wouldn't we start there? But, you know, sometimes that apathy is a way to get power, right? Mm. Even like, I don't need to read the newspaper soup to nuts. The wizarding world is forgetting about me. I can forget about it. The only thing I care about is Voldemort, right? Mm. Like, I do think that there can be power in apathy, right? If someone is screaming at me, often the move that I will make is being like, are you done? Right? Like, just yeah. like... <laughs> like when, Yeah, just like the calmer I get, 
right? I mean, this is... I have actually seen that. I have seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like performing a level of apathy. I mean, there are lower stakes versions of this. My best friend, Kim, when we play a game, she gets highly competitive. And the more competitive she gets, the less competitive I get, which just pisses her off more, right? Like they're in, and therefore I have power again, right? Like her power is in caring so much. And I'm just like, well, my power is in not caring. And so I think that there is like, this internal attempt at power for Harry by trying to not care about certain things. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Well, that brings us really beautifully into some of the other characters who we see engage with Harry because Hermione and Ron are like desperately trying to appease him and be like, no, but we tried. And, you know, and, and there's difference between the two. Oh, my God. And Hermione like knocks him over. So happy to see him. Right. Like Hermione has no chill. She's not like, oh, Harry, you're here. She's like, Harry, and like runs to him and grabs him. And he's almost knocked back and her beautiful hairs in his face. It's like, right, she is enthusiastic. No apathy here. Certainly not. But I think what we see from the twins and from Ginny is particularly interesting because even when Harry bursts out in his shouting, they don't really respond. 
do you think it's a power play in the way that like you respond to Kim when you're playing a game? Or is it that they're like, look, me responding to the shouting isn't going to make it better. You know, Ginny is just very matter of fact with what she says. The text tells us that she responds earnestly to one of his outbursts. And it made me wonder, is like earnestness the opposite of apathy? Because it's like, Mm -hmm. it, it is careful, right? It's full of caring, And it's showing up in this way of like, I'm not going to be ironic. I'm not going to try and get around it or play it or, you know, twist what's going on. Or rise to the bait. Or rise to the bait. Right. Like she's just very straightforward, which I also made me think like, wow, if that was what Harry was getting from Ginny in a way that he's not getting from anyone else, not overly, you know, like, oh, you're a hero, not downplaying, but just like straight up. That helps me understand why he chooses her in the end as well. Yeah. It's interesting because we will find out from Jenny later that she has to some extent chosen a strategy of apathy when it comes to Harry, right? Mm. She had such a big crush on Harry that Hermione was like, date other people, right? Like care less. And she doesn't care less, but she is distracting herself, right? She's choosing to go through it like, trying to avoid suffering and so she is reacting to harry in a romantic part of her life as Mm. caring less about him and i think that it is that training that allows her this like sort of perfect amount of distance Mm. from him where she's like look i still care about you but i'm actually practiced and like not living or dying by how you're treating me whereas Hermione and Ron do live and die by how their best friend treats them and how they treat each other, right? Like, this is one of the most important relationships in their lives. Whereas Ginny is like, I care about you, but if you're a jerk to me, I'm going to go downstairs and hug my mom and play with Tonks and, like, not care. Totally. Whereas then there's Fred and George. Right. Who are totally unintimidated by Harry's yelling. Just tease him about it. They're like, oh, Harry, are you here? We couldn't hear you because you were screaming so loudly. And they are not apathetic about Harry. They are just distanced enough from him that his yelling is not scary or interesting to them. Right. Like they care little enough about Harry to be like, "Uh, you're just being loud. Literally, they say, we thought we heard your dulcet tones. You don't want to bottle up your anger like that, Harry. Let it all out. Right. <laughs> <Just> brilliant. <laughs> and so sometimes I think a little bit of apathy is a good thing, right? We want our doctors to be super calm and to care in theory, but to go about their job without feeling one way or the other about us. We just want them to do their jobs. And I think that Fred and George, it's not that they don't care about Harry. It's that they have that sort of perfect amount of distance to be like, this is going to pass and let's not get worked up about this. Which is how they also respond to Voldemort. Like, interestingly, right? Like, I obviously don't want to paint Harry as like a Voldemort light, but the way in which the twins handle danger. Conflict. Conflict, yeah. But also love to some extent, right? Like, because I think there's also a danger in that, right? Because if you go too far, everything becomes irony. Everything becomes distance. And you actually don't allow yourself to, like, love earnestly in the way that I think we've seen, or at least I've been reading Ginny is doing. Mm-hmm. I remember I had a T-shirt, which I was super into when I was 17 or 18, and it said, apathy is boring. And it was basically trying to be like, yeah, this kind of culture of irony and distance 
Like that's what's boring, right? Caring is not boring. Um, and so I think it works for the twins. It works for the twins here, but I don't want to live my life like that all the time. Well, also the twins just show their care in different ways, right? Yes. They are using their skills of humor to right to diminish the power of Voldemort, right? We'll see them do all these things later. And they yes. they like buy Molly a really beautiful robe, right? Like they're not the ones who are going to pull Molly aside and look deeply into her eyes and be like, yeah. you are the best mom anyone could ask for, yeah. right? Yeah. But they are going to try to make her life easier in all the ways that they can and treat her as if she's beautiful and right like they aren't actually apathetic in general mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. apathy is something that they are able to tap into as a strategy right they're like oh i i can just be funny about this this is so stupid and also i think because the other strategy of caring about following the rules hasn't worked for them like that's not something they're able to succeed at and so they've had to find different ways and so i think some of that kind of uh lols at life vibe is because yeah like if they were trying to pass the owls with like all the effort in the world like that's just not a strength where they're going to succeed so that's that's another interesting kind of narrative is like yeah how how does apathy happen is it because like the structures that were in place actually didn't allow you, right? They weren't designed for you to succeed. Right. So that's an interesting angle here. I mean, I do feel like we should mention just as also Rams, Molly is the opposite of apathy, right? Like just she all care. She cares so much. She cares so much, right? And then Percy is this character who now the family has to feign apathy about, right? The twins say like, don't mention Percy's name right? Dad breaks things, mom bursts into tears every every time we mention him. So there's this sort of a culture of silence being built around Percy because of the depth of pain. And maybe this echoes what we were talking about with Harry and like he cares so much that he has to pretend it doesn't matter. And that's now happening with Percy as well. Yeah. We also know that Percy to some extent is pretending to not care, right? Molly came to his door sort of ready to beg, like, can we please heal from this and he shut the door in her face and was like you yeah. are not something i care about right now which we know is untrue but again apathy can be a genuine feeling and it can also just be a strategy that we tap into mm -hmm. Casper, we are going to be doing Lectio Divina for our spiritual practice today. My favorite. And I have picked a sentence at random for us. Oh, okay. So this is Lupin talking to Harry right when they get into Grimald Place. And he says, but don't go far inside and don't touch anything. Mm. So step one, Casper, what is literally going on in this sentence? So we've just arrived at Grimmel Place and Harry is kind of like suddenly seeing this building emerge from between two other buildings, which, you know, would give me pause for thought. And Lupin is saying, you know, get in there quickly, but don't go far too far inside and don't touch anything, um, which, you know, could sound like, oh, this is a beautiful old place. We don't want you to damage things. But if Lupin is telling you, it, there's probably more going on. So I think Harry 
respects Lupin enough to follow his rules pretty exactly. I can also just imagine being so annoyed by this. Get in quick. Don't touch anything. It's like, what the heck do you want from me? (laughs) Right? Like, this is so specific and everybody is telling Harry exactly what to do, but not explaining anything. Not why. Yeah, that's true. And this would drive me up the wall. I'd be like, why? I need you to tell me why. I'm not going to do what you say until you tell me why. And there are enough signs for Harry to also just be a little curious and perhaps wary, right? Like the silver door knocker is in the form of a twisted serpent. Like there's enough signs that are just like, hang on, why are we going here? And is this really moody? And like, I I can imagine just a kind of a wave of reservation coming over him in this moment, which would be well earned. Yeah, the but is what really is doing a lot of work in the sentence, right? <laughs> it's I'm picturing like a pinball machine that's like getting narrower and narrower as far as your options. And Harry is this ball that's like, I need space <laughs> to go around. And it's like, no, 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 get in for, you know, getting closer, getting closer, right? Like do this, but not this, but not this. It's like Harry's world has suddenly gotten so small in terms of what he's able to control. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of, I don't want to say kidnap victim. That's obviously not true, but like he, <laughs> He's being taken without knowing why or where or to what end. Like it, it is, uh, that's actually really helpful to think about this. Even in step one is like, he's massively disempowered, even in the process of his own sort of rescue. And so yeah. that sense of powerlessness is just that we've seen explode in the conversation with Hermione and Ron. It's also exacerbated by this experience, even with these people who are there to protect him. Oh, yeah. He's told we're at the place of the Order of the Phoenix. And he's like, that means nothing. What is the order? Right. Right. (laughs) So we will now move on to step two, which is what other cultural stories does this remind us of? Mm. The sentence one more time is, but don't go far inside and don't touch anything. Mm. Oh, I'm thinking of like all of the kind of fairy tale stories where there's like. Yeah. I mean, even even biblical stories, right? Like you can have each of any fruit of the tree in this magical heavenly garden, but not this one, right? Right. And of course, like what are people going to do? We're going to eat off that tree. Or like walking into Hansel and Gretel, right? Like walking into the forest and finding this sweet kind of house made of delicious goodies of gingerbread. And it's just like, oh, you're not allowed. But it's there, but you're not allowed, you know, that kind of duality of of desire and restriction yeah what about you oh i love that i recently had the distinct honor and pleasure of re-watching dirty dancing oh and it just reminds me of the training montage right specifically mm. they are training to do a dance together patrick swayze and jennifer gray who are just so adorable and they are supposed to be interacting in like kind of an intimate way. Mm. And yet simultaneously, part of the training is this sort of famous line where he says like, you need to have firm arms because this is my dance space and this is your dance space. And it just drives her nuts, right? She's like, are we supposed to be sexy? Are we supposed to be distanced? And he's like, well, that is the discipline of dancing, both at the same time, right? And so that's what it reminds me of, that in order to be highly trained at anything, to be a member of the Order of the Phoenix, to be a killer dancer like Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze, it's this very limited space, this highly trained space. Mm. 
Step three of Lectio Casper is what does this remind us of in our own lives? Mm. But don't go far inside and don't touch anything. I'm thinking of like going, not just museums, but like in England, you have lots of kind of old country houses and they're owned by the National Trust. And, you know, on a Sunday you might go and then there's a tea room and you have a lovely flapjack and a cup of tea. But there is... <laughs> there. It's honestly one of my favorite things. Like the older I get, the more that is just what I want to do on a Sunday. Yeah. But there is a sense in which like there are things that are preserved. I mean, I had this, I went to the Met recently and there's this wonderful room in the Islamic art exhibit where you're like looking into this kind of Syrian meeting room space. And and it's both inviting us in, but like literally you can't go into the room. And I'm always like, can't we? <laughs> because like... It'd be so nice, even if it was like one at a time. I know it's not possible, but it does feel like, I know that's what it just reminds me. It's just like, we want you to appreciate this, but like you can't be in the space. Yeah. It's why children's museums are so great. And also why at children's museums, there are all these signs being like, feel free to touch me. Right. Right. Right? Because we've so been trained. Yeah. Like, I'm in a museum, I can't touch anything. And I love spaces that are like, no, no, touch everything. Yeah. Yeah, totally. What about you? What does it remind you of? It reminds me of a complicated recipe, right? Where you're like reading it. I read these steps over and over again, right? They're like, fold the eggs in, but don't (laughs) overfold the eggs. And you're like, okay, (laughs) but make sure it's thoroughly folded. And you're like, "Mm -hmm, I can do that. And this like, and the the first time you do the recipe, it's so frustrating. And the second time it's still really hard. And then eventually you're like, no, I know exactly what that means. And I like, don't even have to look at it. Right. And Harry is going to have that relationship with Grimald Place eventually. Right. He's going to be like, this is where I can stop. This is where I can't stop. I'll close the curtain. But that first time when you're staring at a new hard recipe and you're like, I don't, what does overfold mean? I don't, can you be, (laughs) what? (laughs) that's so true like the first time you're walking in every tile is a death trap and like after you've done it 50 times you know that like only this tile at the very left is the death trap and right yeah the like fear abates but at this point fear is full alert yeah yeah and the other thing i'll just say is that there are times in my life where i feel i think really strong in any various ways and so i want a new recipe that's this complicated. And then there are other times where I'm like, I'm just going to make snickerdoodle cookies because I know how to do those really well and easily. Right. Like, yeah. And I feel like Harry is at this low capacity moment where he's like, what? Seriously? Totally. So what does this make you feel called to Casper? Step four, but don't go far inside and don't touch anything. Hmm. I think the thing it makes me want to do is give people clarity as they enter a space. And I don't mean just physically, like, I've been welcoming people into a new nearness journey. And like, I think I've been thorough in explaining what's happening and when and what we need to do and by what. But like, there's always more that we can do to help people feel like they can navigate their own experience and their own context. And so I, I want to interrogate if there's more that I can do or if I'm just being like, click this link. And it's like, well, why? Where is it going? <laughs> like, what, what's supposed to happen? 
Yeah. Because this is, you know, I understand why Lupin is being so short and unclear, but it's it's not helpful. And even if it was just to explain the purpose, like this is the place where this happens. This is why we're going in. This is why you should be careful. Please go inside, but not too far and don't touch anything. Like it, you know. Or even just, I'll explain as soon as I can. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, trust me, but I'll explain in a minute. Right. Which is what Molly does. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I'll, t- I'll tell you after the meeting's done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I want to be as good a host, I guess, as, as I can be. What about you? What are you, what are you feeling called to? Yeah. I mean, really similarly, just like explaining why to the kids when I do something. We were at our local pond yesterday. And right, like there's always the moment where you tell the kids to get out of the pond, right? And I feel like it can feel so arbitrary as a kid. You're just like having fun. And then some adult is like, pond time's over. It's like, what? And then it's like, you know, just wanting to be like, we have to get home at a certain time because Papa's making dinner and right, like we want to be respectful of Papa's time. And, but maybe like telling them earlier of like, okay, you're getting into the pond and, you know, I'm going to get you in 45 minutes so that it doesn't just feel like, this random, like, you know, I'm fishing them out of the water mm. in the middle of a game. Oh, I love pond time. Me too. Casper, thank you so much for doing this Lectio. Thanks for leading us. I love Lectio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Andy. Hi, Vanessa and the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. Uh, My name is Andy. I'm from a small town in eastern Kentucky. I only recently found your podcast, so I'm still back in the first read-through of the books with Vanessa and Casper, um, and I just finished listening to the episode on supremacy from uh, book five, and this voicemail is mostly for Casper. I just wanted to say thank you for sharing how your friend 
uh, reframes and rephrases marginalized groups and instead calls them prophetic groups. I think it's incredibly important um, with the social and political climate of the U.S., uh, you know, in this time in uh, 2023, just, you know, it's it's been pointed out a couple of times that these are the people that we need to listen to. And these are the people that when they say that something's going wrong or that we need to be on the lookout for something that we need to listen to them. I think Angelina would have seen a lot of issues and would be raising a lot of red flags right now, just like um, a lot of prophetic groups are these days. And so I just wanted to say you know, thank you for sharing that and thank you for pointing that out. And I think that's something important that everybody needs to be aware of. Thanks, Andy. I am so glad you're reminding us of that. And now that we're in book five, once again, what a beautiful kind of echo of those earlier conversations. And yeah, it makes me want to look at these stories and the characters in them with yeah, just an extra attention of like, where are the prophetic voices in these pages? I mean, I, I'm even struck by someone like Moody, who has just returned from being held captive for a year, and is already on the front lines, like, you know, but it's hardly remarked upon. And so just, I guess it leaves me aching to hear more from those particular voices and characters. And like, yeah, what does Ginny think about what everything that's happened? Like, what is going on at the margins of this text as well? So I really appreciate you inviting us to to pay attention to that with your voicemail. Yeah, thank you so much, Andy. It's now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. This week, we remember Bishop Willie McNair, who was 75, a father, grandfather, leader who made everyone laugh. Anna Hennessy, who was 24, a daughter, friend, and proud Ravenclaw. Peggy Kiefer, 88, was a grandmother who always made sure her children had a book. Ezra Schneiders, 23, a loving artist and a fierce friend. Andrea Morneau, 76, a proud woman who lived and died on her own terms. And Greg Howard, 58, a Chapman stick player, musician, composer, and artist. May their memory be a blessing. Vanessa, now it's time for us to bless someone in the pages of this book. Who were you drawn to as you read chapter four this time around? Our beautiful Molly. Mm. She is just, I mean, one of her kids has like stormed off. Two of her other kids have been like invited into this secret society army and are doing really dangerous work. And she is the only person who does the thing, you know, that we were talking about in our Lectio, who's like, Harry will explain more later. I can't right now, but there will be dinner, right? And then it's like, you look thin. I'm going to do everything I can to feed you. Mm. And like actually takes that moment. And I would say that she's actually under arguably like the most stress of anyone. And we find out, you know, the text tells us she's like thinner and looks unwell and 
I just want to offer a blessing for Molly, who's finding a place for so much love, even as she's under so much stress. What about you, Casper? I was really struck by Hermione, mostly because of the way she responds to Harry. And she has such a level of empathy and generosity. Like, even though she's been, <laughs> like having one of his explosions, and she says, you're right, Harry. I'd be absolutely furious if it were me. Like, there's just such a level of maturity and, and yeah, just empathy that, that she exhibits here. And it helped me understand again, like, oh, that's how she endures. And frankly, like, even chooses to go on the book seven, like, solo trip with Harry in a way that just Ron can't hack it. And it's because she is able to do this, you know, it's gendered. I, I don't want to ignore the elements around this, which no. are icky, but like she's such a good friend to him more than anything else is, is just what a beautiful friendship, you know, Hermione and Harry have. And this, this was just one of those moments where I got to see it. So for anyone who's, you know, supporting a friend in, in the hard time and, and for Hermione, yeah, just a blessing of gratitude. Amen. I would be like, I am ready to empathize with you, but don't talk to me like that. <laughs> so, good job, Hermione. <laughs> Next week, we will be back with the beautiful Matt Potts. We'll be reading Chapter 5, The Order of the Phoenix, through the theme of comparison. Casper, thanks for coming back. We'll talk to you soon. This was fun. I'll be back again in a few chapters. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. You can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Harry Potter and Sacred Text. And you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts for ad-free episodes. And of course, you can give us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to thank Sarah Amazing, Kevin717, A4Fan, Curly Fry, Jess Het1128, fan of many podcasts, and Science Baby, who particularly called out Colette Potts. I would like to particularly call out Colette Potts as well. She's delightful. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by Aja Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Andy for this week's voicemail. Laura Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Wilson, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Matt Potts, Stephanie Paulsell, everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones, and a special thanks this week to Casper Turkai. And I'm right back at you, Vanessa. Love you. Love you too.